Amen, amen. A lot of things have been going on over the last couple of weeks. Thanks for coming out yesterday, especially uh, out to caroling and uh, just helping out there. Mrs. Legault has done all sorts of damage to the shoulder by painting, and so Javier helped out there and tried to make sure. I think Brother Bacon might have been over there. Some others that have popped in and tried to make sure that got finished up, so thank you. Lots of Lots of things, people trying to button up things here and there around the church before, uh, before too much snow shows up, although we're losing a little bit today. But uh, if you would, grab your Bibles, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, if you would. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach my first of Christmas messages this year. And uh, by the way, my, my comment with Brother Viscom with the microphone was, was from this morning. He knew what I meant. Uh, but he goes, you got to be careful who you give that to. Uh, that's what he said to me when I grabbed it this morning to hand it off to somebody to pray. And so that's why I made the joke about him having the mic tonight. So, uh, But uh, it's a blessing. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, you know the spot we're going, I would assume. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6... He says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Uh, and so as you think of uh, multiple, what we would deem Christmas passages, this is uh, one that we would, although Luke 2 is probably the, the standard, the bar standard, pastor was there this morning, uh, of what we go to. Uh, here it shows up, and uh, this is one of the early prophecies of Jesus Christ and his birth, and him coming as the king, and him showing up. Now, uh, notice what it says about him, he says, uh, his name shall be called. Uh, names go a long way, Old Testament and as well as uh, all the way out, even early times for us and our, our last names, they used to have meaning. Uh, they had different inclinations and different uh, meanings and statuses based upon the last name. Uh, we have that today. A good name is rather to be chosen. We want a good name. Uh, and sometimes your last name shows off if you're supposed to be good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, but names, nicknames show up and what we call people and uh, there's reasons for those names. Uh, you, you have different you know, sports figures and different uh, people in the world and different friends you have. You have different nicknames for people. Some of them are, are humorous and done because of what they've done and it was funny and so you slide it in there and uh, it's kind of a little jab and a joke between friends and other times it's a serious one, something they, uh, they were pretty amazing and they were known for and so we used that and that, those names start showing up. Of Jesus Christ, and I didn't count these personally, uh, but uh, it said he has uh, 256 names of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Uh, he's got a lot of different names that they call him, a lot of different things that he is referenced as and what he is. And uh, so we're going to cover all 256. No, I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> Buckle up, we're going to be here. Uh, uh, I'm just kidding. I'm not even going to cover all the ones in this passage. There's several right here, right? He's called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting God. We could cover all those and we could try to do that tonight, but I'm only going to take one. 
And I got thinking about uh, Jesus Christ, and you get thinking about who he is, and you think about uh, what he is, and you think about who he is to us, and all the things that he has accomplished, and let alone his earthly ministry, let alone in all of time, as the God of the universe. You get thinking about him, and the first one on the list, he should be called Wonderful. And tonight I want to preach on He's Wonderful. Uh, he's just wonderful. Uh, you think of the word wonderful and it's not common or ordinary. That's what it is. It's just, it's, it's not the mundane. It's not normal. Uh, you go to some places, right? You go out to Niagara Falls and I'm using that one because it's close to us, right? You, go, you drive over, you get to Niagara Falls, you watch those falls run. And that's just, that's extraordinary. That's wonderful to watch. Uh, it's beautiful. It's magnificent. It's powerful. Uh, it's, it's a thing that just, it's amazing. People come from all over, possibly all over the world to come and look at that and just watch the water run down and watch the creation that God has made right there. And it's wonderful in power and in might and in majesty. Uh, people go and they go to the Grand Canyon and they look down over the Grand Canyon and the vastness and the, and it's wonderful. We look over and it, it brings wonder to us. It makes us marvel at the greatness and how small we appear in the presence of the Grand Canyon. Uh, it makes us marvel at how small we look in relation to the Niagara Falls. It makes us look so small and pathetic as we look over some of the vastness of what God has done. That's why men marvel at the stars. Because it makes them feel, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You look out at a universe and you go, man, a God that holds the span of the universe in his hand and what are we in that span of his hand that he would be mindful of me? And Jesus Christ, he is wonderful. In fact, uh, the word wonderful makes you think of the idea that they're in a class all by its own. There's nothing to compare it to. What do you compare some of those things to? You look out at some of the marvels that the world has of its own, and you look around and you go, is there anything like that? Nothing else like it. You've got to be here to go see that. Otherwise, you've got nothing to compare it to. And that's Jesus Christ. There's nothing to compare him to. He is wonderful. And tonight I'm going to preach for a little while on him being wonderful. And I certainly won't cover everything. Uh, we're certainly not going to turn to all the spots I have written down in case you're wondering. i got a lot of them, but we're not going to go to them. Uh, I may just talk for a while. I say, what are you going to do? I'm just going to brag on him. Because he's wonderful. And he deserves it. And so I'm just going to do that tonight. Uh, so, Michael, I apologize if this doesn't beat everybody up in the room. He said, you're going to be mean tonight? I said, I don't think so. I don't really know. I'm just going to talk about him being wonderful. And that may make you feel lousy. You say, why? Because we're not so wonderful. But he is. And he closes that gap pretty quick. But we'll get into that later. Lord, we do thank you for the moment. And I thank you, Father, that you are a wonderful God. You are wonderful to us. But, Father, even without what you've done to us and for us, well, you're just wonderful. And so, Father, I pray you'd help me to do justice tonight and show off uh, what great things the Lord hath done and how wonderful Jesus Christ himself is. And, Lord, we pray that Jesus would be high and lifted up tonight, that you draw each and every one of us close to you. Father, I don't know if anybody here is lost, but you do. I pray they'd call upon Jesus Christ. They'd see their need for a wonderful Savior, and they'd call upon him tonight. For those of us who are saved, I pray you'd help us to see how wonderful it is we have as a God and as a, uh, as a Savior, as a, as a companion, as a friend, Lord, to go through our trials and our troubles, how wonderful it is to have somebody like that with us all the time and that we'd fall a little more in love with our Savior tonight. And once again, we pray you'd be praised in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.
Amen. You're thinking about Jesus Christ, and here, of course, he starts off the passage with, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Uh, his birth is wonderful. It's a wonderful birth. You start thinking about the birth of Jesus Christ, and you go just a couple chapters earlier here in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, you find out that a virgin shall conceive. A virgin's going to be having a child, and they'll call his name Emmanuel. Uh, you say, what is it? It's a prophesied birth. It's wonderful because there's no birth like it that was prophesied the way that it was. Uh, you, have the, you have the time, you have the place, you have the person, you have his name. You get to Micah chapter 5 and you have Bethlehem that shows up and the king's going to get born in Bethlehem. <laughs> Here he comes. You talk about a prophecy, you can't get a prophecy like that in any other holy book. Uh, they think they've got holy books out there and how amazing they are and how wonderful they are. Uh, God was talking about his son being born hundreds of years before he ever showed up and not one time did he miss on what he was going to do for him. It's a wonderful birth. It's prophesied. Not only is it prophesied, we read it this morning, so I won't take time. But if you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, you can because you can scroll down the page and you can uh, see where I'm pointing to throughout the passage. But if you get to Luke chapter 2, we understand the birth of Jesus Christ shows up there. And uh, it's the time of taxing there. And uh, they're down in Bethlehem, of course, and they're fulfilling the prophecies. Uh, but it's a prophesied birth. But not only that, it's a proclaimed birth. Aren't too many births that show up where angels show up to some people and let them know that a Savior has come into the world. The angels show up to proclaim that there is great news. There's good tidings of great joy which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. They proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. They look down, it is one of the only births in all of time that is proclaimed by angels showing up to let man know something different about this one. It's a wonderful birth. It was prophesied, it was proclaimed. Not only that, but it was praised. The shepherds show up. And the shepherds show up and they find exactly, they're the ones the angels were preaching to. They were the ones the angels were telling about it. And those shepherds come walking in and they come out of that field. And they walk into Bethlehem and they get down there to the manger and they see that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in the manger and they went, well, that's true. <laughs> and they go away glorifying and praising God of the things that they got to see and that they got to hear. It's a praiseful birth. Tell you what, you get to see the Savior laying in a manger and you find out that the Savior is showing up in the world. You know what? You'd be praising God too. And those shepherds got to praise God that the Savior had stepped into the world and they were the first ones that got to hear about it. They're the first ones outside of Mary and Joseph. They're, they're the ones that really get to know. These shepherds and they show up and man, they're praising God. Why? Because I got to know something nobody else got to know today. Saviors come into the world. Sad reality is most folks don't understand that a Savior's come into the world. He came in with a wonderful birth. It was prophesied, it was proclaimed, it was praised, it was pondered by Mary. She kept all these things and she pondered them in her heart. That baby was born that day and she knew all the things that she was told by the angel. She knew all the things that she had had with John the Baptist leaping in the womb of her cousin and she knows all the pieces and she's hearing all these things and all of a sudden these shepherds show up and they go, these angels told us. And she's going, Whew. 
And she just keeps thinking about it. So what's she thinking? She's thinking, how could somebody like me give birth to somebody like that? That's wonderful. He is far more wonderful than I am. She says so. She says that she was glorying in her Savior. She needed a Savior, and she gave birth to him. And he's the Savior. It was a pondered birth. Not only that, it was a pursued birth. So what do you mean? The wise men showed up a couple years later, didn't they? Matthew chapter 2, in come the wise men. And the wise men, they come from afar. They saw a star in the east and they started following and they started looking and they started going. And as they get there, they finally track him down and he's probably a little under two years old. And that's why Herod kills all those kids. Get rid of a king. He didn't want one. Herod didn't have room for another king. They didn't have room for him in the inn. Herod didn't have room for him. The Pharisees, they didn't have room to find the Savior. They weren't looking for a Messiah. These wise men were. They were looking. They were pursuing after him. And they chased him down. You know what they did? They laid down at his feet with gifts. Because he was worthy. Because it wasn't just a regular birth. It was a wonderful birth. The wonderful birth of a wonderful Savior. Not only that, I'm moving along. I'm excited. I'm too excited to slow down. I don't know how to do that. Uh, it's a wonderful birth, but not only that, this man, this Jesus that we talk about, this one that we preach and proclaim, he's also wonderful in his character. He's not like anybody else. He is absolutely one of a kind. So what do you mean by that? I mean there's nobody else that's ever been sinless like Jesus. Everybody else is sinful. You and I, we're, we're sinners. He shows up in a place full of sinful men. He steps down out of a sinless glories of heaven, perfect place. He steps down out of a perfect heaven, no sin, no tainting, no destruction, no nothing. He steps down out of that glorious place, down to a sinful earth. And you know what he is? He's still a sinless man. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He says in John chapter 8, you know what else he did? He says in John chapter 8, his sinless actions were, I do always those things that please the Father. There's not one person on the planet that ever get to, got to say that beside Jesus. Not one of us has always pleased God. We all come up short. We've all come short of the glory of God, but not this man. Jesus Christ was wonderful in his character. He was sinless in his actions. That's how he could become a sinless savior. If Jesus is a sinner, then you and I have no hope. But because he's wonderful in his character, he's sinless, you and I have all hope. The Bible says that he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus did no sin. Never committed one. Never thought of one. And you know what he says? He made him to be sin for us and knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Whew. He's wonderful in his character because he's a sinless man. He's wonderful in his character because of the spectacular miracles he did. You, you think about this for a moment. There are places where he was walking through and all they did was take every sick person they could find, drop them in the street next to him and let them walk past and let those people just touch him and he healed them all. 
I challenge one of those faith healers we got today kicking around acting like they're somebody to go ahead and do that. Go ahead and walk down the street and if they just touch you, go ahead and heal them. Not one person can, but Jesus did. They bring him impotent men, men of just no power, no strength, no might, nothing. Men sick of the palsy, lame men, blind men, leprosy, all of it. You just keep walking them in. You know what they do? He just heals them. Woman with the issue of blood, 12 years. Nobody else can fix it. She shows up at Jesus, touches but the hem of his garment, and she's made whole. <laughs> Say, who is he? He's just wonderful. He's wonderful. You bring him a man possessed of the devils, it makes no difference to him. He cast them all out. The disciples go, why? We couldn't do that. He says, because this kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. And by the way, I'm God, so they listen to me. I'm wonderful. That's exactly who he is. You say, who is he? He's just wonderful. He's wonderful, and men marveled. They marveled at how many things he could do. They marveled at what great things the Lord hath done over and over again. And sad reality is you and I have gotten so accustomed to him doing the miraculous that we don't marvel and wonder at how great things God does for you and I. He's a wonderful God because he's a wonderful in his character. He's spectacular in his miracles. Not only that, but he's studious in his teachings. They still study the parables of Jesus Christ just for the idea of how he taught men. They look at those and they look at him lining up and he takes the physical and the practical to teach a very important truth. You talk about being studious and figuring out how to do that. You ask anybody who's ever preached a message in their life, that's, all, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get somebody to see a bigger truth based upon what you're giving them right here. It's the great illustrations and some of the best illustrations make the best message. They come out and that illustration brings home the point of what you need them to see. And mankind couldn't understand. Jesus could take a parable and go ahead and explain the whole thing. And one group of people couldn't get it and the other group of people got it perfectly. Because they refused, one side refused to trust who he was and believe him. And the other side decided they'd believe him. And he'd go ahead and open and he could teach better than anybody else even the pharisees would walk up and say rabbi <laughs> that's teacher he's a teacher the world marvels at jesus even at his teachings they may say well you know he's a good man he was a good teacher he was a good prophet he was a good i wouldn't go as far as you and i go and we'll get there in a second well maybe a little more in a second but we'll get there he was studious in his teachings he could teach with the best. He didn't need anybody else. At 12 years old, he's sitting there in the temple teaching the people that are supposed to know more than he knows. And they're sitting there asking him questions, trying to figure out what he knows. At 12, he's wonderful. He's wonderful in his character. He's sinless. He's spectacular with his miracles. He's studious in his teachings. And he's always sound in his wisdom. Jesus is always wise. I'm not going to ask, don't raise your hand, please, but how many of us have done foolish things and said foolish things? You know, Jesus, nobody ever made a fool of him. You know, the Pharisees tried it over and over and over again. The Sadducees tried it over and over again. The lawyers showed up and they tried it again and they tried it again and they tried it again until all of a sudden he got to uh, near the end of his ministry there. He got around, I think it's Matthew 26. And all of a sudden it goes, and no man durst ask him 
any more question. <laughs> I said, I'm done asking him stuff. I'm tired of this. He always makes me look stupid. Say, why? Because he was always wonderful in his wisdom. He knows. He had sound wisdom over and over again. You know, when he stands there and the, uh, and the officers are there and they're getting ready to arrest him and they want to arrest him, and all of a sudden all, all the officers walk away. And they get back and they go, why didn't you arrest him? And they said, never a man spake like this man. I don't know who that guy is, but I've never heard anybody talk like him. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. The words that he spoke every time, just right. Just the way. You ever say things you didn't mean to say that way and it sounded real bad afterwards and you think, man, why did I say it like that? He never made a mistake like that. He always knew the right answer. He always had the right word. He always had the right way to fulfill it and to make it right. Over and over and over again. And they looked at him and they said, never a man spake like this man. The disciples looked at him and said, but... What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves and the seas obey him? <laughs> That's the kind of wisdom he had. He could get the waves to sit down whenever he felt like it. Say, who is he? He's the wonderful Jesus. He's just wonderful. He's wonderful in his birth. He's wonderful in his character. He's wonderful in his death. You know, his death is a wonder. An innocent man convicted and crucified. That's a wonder. His own accusers got no, couldn't even come up with a good excuse to have him crucified. Pilate looks at him and he says, this man hath done nothing amiss. I wash my hands of this just person. And they crucify him anyways. You say, what's so wonderful about that? What's wonderful is that Jesus told him it was going to happen. He looked at his disciples, you know what he said? Well, about two days they're going to come and crucify me, Matthew 26. And we've got about two days here and they're going to take me and they're going to crucify me. And the disciples, they're looking around like, what are you talking about? You just made the most glorious entrance into a city ever. And he's going, yep, two more days. They'll take me and they'll crucify me. Not only that, but he's a forsake, he is forsaken in his death. Judas betrays him. Everybody looks around and Jesus, he's already gone about doing his business. And they get down to that dinner table and he says, uh, one of you is going to betray me. Matthew 26, you can read the whole passage if you like. It's a long chapter, though, uh, so I'm not doing it. Hey, he looks around at that table, you know what he says? Somebody's going to betray me. That, that one I dipped the sop with, that's going to be him. And there's Judas. And Judas Iscariot betrays him. Forsaken. It's a wonder that anybody would forsake Jesus. But how often do we do it? Betray him and walk away from a wonderful Savior, from a wonderful God. 
And a wonderment in his death is that he foretold what would happen and he knew he would be forsaken and he knew it would be a frugal investment from someone. Judas got paid off cheap. 30 pieces of silver for the most wonderful man to ever live. I think he's worth more than 30 pieces of silver. I mean, at least Balaam got a house full of gold to betray God. How cheap it is that mankind goes ahead and gets bought off and don't stick with their wonderful Savior. How sad it is. How sad it is that we're so frugal that we go ahead and go, well, I'll take less than what it should be to buy me off to get away from God. The pleasures of sin for a season are awfully cheap. And you let them do it. It's a very fitting time, though, that he gets crucified. You say, what is that? That's Passover time. That's the lamb slain. You talk about a perfect timetable from God. You realize they tried to kill him a few times before he got ever to the crucifixion? They're ready to throw him down off the mountain. They're ready to go ahead and pick up stones, and he just walks out like nothing ever happens. He just cruises along. He looks at them and he says, my hour has not yet come. I'm just going to walk out of this. But then he lets the disciples know, uh, two days, my time's up. Two days, I'm going to let them take me. Two days, I'm going to let them crucify me. We're coming down to Passover and the lamb needs to get slain so we can take care of the sin. And Jesus Christ, at a fitting time, the Passover feast, goes ahead and allows himself to be crucified. It's a wonderful death. You know, it's strange. Most people's deaths, the features that surround their death, is normally very quiet. Not much happens. In the hospital, they turn the machines off, the beeping all stops, everything goes calm. The machines quit running and it's quiet. Most people's deaths are quiet and unnoticed. That wasn't the features of Jesus' death. You get to John 19, you get to any of the accounts, you know what you find? You find that darkness goes over the face of the whole earth. The sun is darkened and no man, and they go ahead and the earth starts to quake. This is not a normal thing right here. This is a wonderful thing. The world has got to wonder at what is about to happen because this is not some normal man who's given up his life right here. This is a wonderful God who has stepped down out of the glories of heaven to give his life a ransom for many. And the world has to stop and pause and recognize the fact that a wonderful man and a wonderful God is giving his life for their sins. And so God lays darkness across the earth and he starts to shake the earth. And as the... Uh, the earth begins to shake. There's not only that, but there's lightnings and thunderings and the whole earth is going in chaos for just a moment and God rips the veil of the temple in twain and nobody else has had a death like that. It's a wonderful death. It made the centurion wonder. He looks up and he says, truly this man was the son of God. It was wonderful death. But praise God, it's a wonderful resurrection a few days later. And three days later, it's not just the wonderful death of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful resurrection. You know, it's funny, he foretold that one too. 
He told the disciples, don't worry, they're going to take me and crucify me, but three days later, I'm coming up. Uh, I'm not staying where they put me. I'm not really good at that. I'm going to go ahead and rise from the dead, and I'm going to be victorious over death and sin and a grave. You don't have to worry about any of those things. Three days later, I'm coming up. It's wonderful that he rose from the grave. He told him he was doing it. Not only that, it's funny. Uh, in contrast, most people, right, their death, their death is very quiet. It's very unseeming, everything else. Uh, you, get, you get to the idea of a resurrection and you think power and might and loud and you think that's about the time the earthquake is going to happen and the thunderings and the lightnings and he's going to come up with power. And all he does is quietly roll a stone out of his way. And nobody even knows it happens until the women show up in the morning and they come to anoint him and they're worried about rolling a stone out of the way. The Lord says, I already moved the stone and it's day three, so I'm not staying. I'm walking out of here and I don't need to be anointed anymore. Mary took care of that with an alabaster box, so I'm okay. And I'm going to step out as the king of the universe. And I'm going to go ahead and flaunt the greatness of who I am here in just a moment. You realize he does something nobody else has ever done before and nobody will do ever since? He came up from a grave with his own power. Oh, we've had people raised from the dead. Jesus raised from the dead. Elijah raised from the dead. People rose from the dead. Not like Jesus. He goes ahead and he says, I lay my life down and then I'm going to take it back up again. I'll set it down for a minute, but I'm going to walk back over. I'm going to pick it back up and I'm walking out these doors and there's nobody going to stop me. I have the keys of death and of hell and I'm going to walk out of here as king of kings and lord of lords and everybody else is going to know it. He says he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He walked out there and he didn't just walk out like, oh, I'm just going to stroll out and nobody else is going to notice. He made sure everybody knew that he came up from a grave. He had everybody lined up and the soldiers are paid to lie about it and everybody's trying to cover up that he rose from the dead. Well, somebody stole his body. No, he shows up and you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and he doesn't show up to one or two. He shows up to above 500 brethren at once to go ahead and prove, guess what? I'm the king. I'm God. I'm wonderful. I'm a wonderful Savior. Say, so who is he? He's just wonderful. He's wonderful, and there's no other way to describe him. He's just wonderful. You realize Jesus Christ is so wonderful that he is not just the Son of God, he is God the Son. He's not just a begotten God like somebody wants to make him. He's not just some secondary God. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is God Almighty showing up on the face of this earth to show off that he could conquer everything that you and I would ever face. He is the one where no sickness that he couldn't heal. There's no victory he couldn't win. There's no question he couldn't answer. And there's no sinner he can't save. He is the greatest that ever was and ever will be. There's nobody like him. There's no mere man that could ever be like him. He is unique because he is wonderful. And he is a wonderful God. He's greater than the, a priest than Moses ever was. He's a greater king than David could ever be. He's a greater conqueror than Joshua had ever fought. He is a greater philosopher than Solomon could ever come up with. And he is a greater prophet than Elijah ever dreamed to be. He is the greatest. And beside him, there is no other. 
and you get talking about how wonderful Jesus Christ is and you start thinking about how amazing he is and then you start thinking how horrible I am. Because there's no other way to look at it. He's sinless and I'm sinful. He's got all the power and I'm completely and utterly a failure. He has the glories of heaven for all of eternity and I deserve a lake of fire for all of eternity. Billy Sunday told this story. In his imagination, he was preaching. He said this. He said, I imagine when God was about to create man, he called to his minister, ministering ones who wait constantly before his throne. And he said, Justice, shall we make man? And Justice replied, No, Lord, do not make man. He will trample on your laws, profane your holy name, and pollute your sanctuaries. I would never make man. I hear him ask truth. Shall we make man? And truth replied, O God, make him not. He will controvert thy word, insult thy gracious spirit, and turn away from his creator with heartless ingratitude. Again, I hear him say, Mercy, shall we make man? Mercy dropped to her knees and looking up through her tears said, Yes, Lord, I know all that justice and truth have said is true, but I will watch over him. When he forgets thee, I will whisper to him of thy love. And in all the sins of his life, I will tell him of thy forgiveness. Though he be vile and utterly undone by wickedness, I will follow him through all the dark days and will woo him in tenderness back to thee. We have gone to the farthest limits of sin, down to the lowest depths. We have profaned God's name, violated his Sabbaths, lived in adultery, drunkenness, and debauchery, trampled beneath our feet the atoning blood of Jesus. Yet God is still waiting for us. His mercy has followed us all of our days. Mercy is still looking through those tears and calling. That... That is a wonderful Savior. Say, why did he show up? Why did he come down? Why did he have to be so wonderful? He came down to be wonderful to you. Because the world needed a wonderful Savior. Because less than that wouldn't get the job done. You and I are horrible sinners. And we needed a wonderful Savior. And he is wonderful. And beside him... There's no Savior. Beside Him, there's nobody great. Beside Him, there's none good. It's Him alone. And tonight, tonight, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, He wants to be. He wants to save to the uttermost. He wants to forgive you of all of your sins. He wants to wash you of all of the things that you've done wrong and give you a home in heaven for eternity. He wants to forgive you and make it so that you have a relationship with him again. He is a wonderful savior. He was sinless because he needed to fulfill it. He's sinless because he's wonderful. And because he was sinless and he made a sacrifice in his love, he made it so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins forever. Christian, tonight, maybe you haven't remembered how wonderful a savior you've got. Tonight's the night to remember. 
He is wonderful. He is wonderful, and you and I forgetting to marvel at how great he is doesn't make him any less wonderful. It makes you and I sad because we don't remember how wonderful he is. He is a wonderful God. Let's go ahead and stand tonight. If you're in here tonight, and once again, you're not saved, we're going to take a moment here and we're going to go ahead and have what we call an invitation. We're just inviting people to come and pray and deal with the Lord. And maybe you've got some questions and maybe you've got some things you'd like to know about. We'd love to open a Bible and just answer your questions. If you'd come ahead, we'd gladly just get my attention. We'll open up a Bible. We'll talk to you about Jesus Christ and what he's done and how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. The Bible says, These things have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know for sure you're in heaven forever. Maybe tonight, Christian, you just go, man, I haven't been marveling. I forgot how wonderful he is. I just want to thank him for being wonderful to me. Let's go ahead and do that tonight. Father, I pray you would bless the moment. I hope I did it justice. Father, you're more wonderful than I could ever describe. But Father, I pray I did a little bit of justice to show how great a God that we have and how wonderful of a Savior we have. You're called wonderful and you live up to the name. And Father, I pray you'd bless in Jesus our Savior's name. Amen.